Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad that you could be with us. Good morning, Mike, and whoever else happens to be joining us this uh, fine day. It is a good day, isn't it? It's a good day. You know why it's a good day? Because Jesus Christ, the ruler over heaven and earth, he made this day. Therefore, it is a good day to rejoice and be glad and to taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you brought your coffee with you, which I hope you did, let's taste and see that the Lord is good, shall we? Ah, he is good. So got a question for you. What if we closed all the seminaries and burned all the theology books? Can you come with me on a little uh, thought experiment here? So there's a, a, uh, a some kind of a, a targeted, I was going to say nuclear blast, but that's not going to communicate. There's, uh, what, what are those, uh, uh, what are those, um, oh, I can't think of it, the, uh, the booms that uh, take out all the, the electricity. Somebody, somebody's going to know. You guys are smarter than me on that. Anyway, just, just imagine somehow all the seminaries in the world just, just burned down <laughs> and all the systematic EMP. Thank you, Todd. And all the systematic theology books, poof, just raptured. You know, <laughs> we talk about the rapture. Uh, people think that uh, Christians someday are just going to be gone all of a sudden and airplanes are going to be pilotless. So let's say all the theology books are raptured. They're just gone. Anything that fits the category of systematic theology. And let me take it one step further. Let's say all of those who are trained in systematic theology and all of our uh, traditions, you know, reformed groups, Anybody who's been uh, trained in Reformed theology, Anglican theology, Lutheran theology, Presbyterian theology, Reformed Baptist, all down the line, they're just, their, their memories, all their theological training is wiped out. What would happen? Peter says there would be panic in the majority of churches, uh, churchgoers, because they would have to start thinking for themselves. <laughs> The more I ponder this, and, and the further I get away from the institution, and I reflect on the impact, and, and this, this coincides with the fact that I'm teaching church history too right now in our New Covenant School of Theology. <laughs> so uh, would my school be destroyed in my scenario maybe although we um we don't spend much time in uh in systematic theology someone's gonna someone's gonna argue and say yes you do anytime you put any thoughts together you're systematizing yeah yeah but you know what i mean there there's a discipline called systematic theology and uh, we we try to uh move a different direction from that but the further i get away from the institutional church I just see how we have we've we've created we have created sort of this 
theological bubble. I don't know if that's the right term that, that Peter's kind of alluding to there of, I don't know. I, it, I see more and more clearly the downsides of it. And so I, I cut my teeth theologically in, you know, I went to two reformed seminaries. I just, uh, my bookshelves behind me, and this is, you know, a very small portion of the books that I used to have uh, early on in my pastoral journey, I just absorbed, especially reformed thinking. And I was of the mindset that if I were going to persuade people to the the right theology, I had to know their theology and why it was wrong. So I read everything, get my hands on. I, my philosophy has always been, if you're going to debate with someone, you need to know their argument better than they do. So I read vociferously and listened to lectures and and on and on and on. And so my my grasp of the big theological systems uh, is is pretty substantial. And I loved it. I loved it. That's that's who I was 25 years ago. And that's that's the kind of thinking that I really enjoyed. I remember the first time uh, I was exposed to R.C. Sproul, it blew my mind that there was somebody who was this passionate about theology and a great communicator and he thought thoroughly about these things and it captivated me and that catapulted me down that path of of wanting to be like that and i became like that uh, i had a, a seminary professor who was a friend of rc sproul's and uh, he said he has he had sat at a table with rc as they debated all kinds of things and the one thing for sure was you had better know your argument inside out and backwards because you could be sure that rc did it didn't matter what top topic his just his intellect was so vast and that he would he would lay you bare he would, he would leave you exposed and naked in your argument and tear it down if you disagreed with him not because he was mean spirited or anything like that he was just so committed to understanding the full breadth of the arguments and he came to his conclusions and he he would just destroy you in debate. Well, I had people tell me that that was how I was. Uh, people in Sunday school classes, I had 100 people in my Sunday school class and uh, you know, I'd ask questions and have a hard time getting people to raise their hands and I would ask somebody, you know, why why are you coming to me here privately? You wouldn't bring it up. He said, because you just had your, your guns out and you would just destroy, boom, 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 just shoot down arguments like crazy. And I did, and I understood their arguments, my position, and I, I'm, I'm a pretty good debater. And that's what seemed like the pursuit of godliness. Think God's thoughts after him. Right? And... Over the years, the Lord graciously exposed some of that, sometimes through pain, sometimes through very humbling situations. 
began to expose some of the errors of approaching things that way. So I, I know that arena, and I, someone mentioned yesterday in a comment after the, uh, after the video, um, something about the machinery. I don't remember exactly what he said, and, and I don't know if you're on here. I think it was Prepped for Eternity Homestead. Somebody, if you're on here, uh, you could repeat what you, uh, uh, what you said, but the, the machinery of the church, that kind of thing. And it's true, we have sort of developed this, the, when we talk about the institutional church, uh, it, it may be having an impact that is not helpful to promote godliness. Mike says, we need defenders of the faith. Oh, sure we do. But see, here's the thing. And this is what I tell our students at the New Covenant School of Theology. Systematic theology has its place to refute error. So somebody comes along and denies the deity of Christ. Yes, now is the time to take the whole breadth of scripture and formulate our assumptions, our premises and conclusions to show that the Bible plainly presents Jesus as divine. So defending, I, I, I agree, Mike, with the way you put that, defending the faith. But here's what it seems to me has happened. At least this happened in my experience, and maybe I'm unique. Maybe I'm rare. Maybe your churches and the vast majority of, of elders and pastors aren't where I am. But I don't think so. I know a lot of pastors. I'm pretty familiar with a lot of churches and teaching, and I've certainly listened to who knows how many hours of teaching and read who knows how many hours of books from uh, all kinds of pastors and those who are impacting the, the broader church. So I don't think I'm wrong, but maybe I am. Maybe I'm a rare case here. But what I think has happened is we have, instead of using systematic theology to defend against error when it comes up, we have made it the primary diet for so many. And this, the reason this is, this is uh, all coming together for me now in this way, again, one, I'm, I'm no longer part of you know, what I would call the institutional church, and two, teaching the Church History 2 course, and that follows on Church History 1, starting with you know, just after the Apostles, how quickly the church went down this path and then Catholicism just took over. And then you get to the Reformation and the Reformation was enhanced, it was sparked in some ways by the Renaissance. Well, what was the Renaissance? It was going back to the philosophers Plato and Aristotle and the rest, and and humanism and this idea was was generating in the broader culture that we don't need the church to tell us everything that's true. Human wisdom and rationality can figure out what is true, and that of course undermined the Catholic power, 
and opened the door for Martin Luther to break away. And then people jumped on board with him in a hurry. But you've got this this underpinning in the in the broader culture of getting back to Greek philosophy. And that spills over into the reformers, Calvin and Zwingli and Booster and Beza and those guys. And they're convinced they can answer all the questions systematically, just as the world was doing with philosophy and science. And you get guys, if you've read Francis Turretin, I asked Dr. Sproul one time, what is the, uh, what is the most important, what's your favorite systematic theology works? And he said, oh, there's only one. It's the Institutes of Eclectic Theology by Francis Turretin. So what did I do? I went out and bought it. It was expensive. I bought it and I, been, I began reading it and absorbing it. Like I still have it right over there on my shelf. And the man thought he could answer every question there is basically through logic and reasoning. And that's what's been handed down to us. And if you disagree with that, then just, you know, they mock us. Just, you think just Jesus in, in your Bible is all you need. And you think you're arrogant for coming to these truths that men haven't developed and all that stuff. It's all, a, they're defending their presupposition that the history of theology, and they love Augustine because he was very heady and very systematic in his approach to things. And he taught predestination, so the reformers all love him. They overlook his baptismal regeneration of infants. <laughs> um, but they, they have to uphold tradition and, and the tradition of theology as the deeper things of God. Even though the Bible is quite different. Peter says, do you think institutional church works because it mostly suits both parties, leadership and parishioners? Well, I don't think it does work. I think... I think people don't know any better. Uh, and it's kind of what I've been talking about. The, we have gotten to this place. And again, like I said this yesterday, I'm not intending at this point, I'm not questioning people's motives. I think the system has moved us here. And I think we need to destroy the system. Humbly. And graciously, and someone said to me the other day, you're not going to change. It took us 2,000 years to get here. You're not going to change this in your lifetime. Uh, probably not. But it's got to start somewhere. Uh, Peter says, by work, I mean most people are comfortable with it. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, it, it's just, it's all we know. It's, it's what we do. We're, we, you know, sheep follow shepherds. And so the institution is some young man, like me, feels the call to ministry. And what do we tell them to do? Well, you go to seminary. And what are you taught in seminary? You're taught your theological tradition and systematic theology. And then you go get a job as a, a youth pastor and work your way up to senior pastor. And you are going to teach the people what you learn in seminary, which is predominantly systematic theology. And the people sitting in the pews are mostly passive. They're spectators, they're recipients, and that all comes out of Catholicism. Uh, for some groups, it's all the sacraments. You just passively receive God's grace through the sacraments, which of course is entirely unbiblical. 
and you know the the Presbyterians call it means of grace. The Word of God preaches a means of grace, and Lord's Supper and baptism are all means of grace, which all of that is is unbiblical. And so you're a passive recipient, and these guys are the experts. The pastors are the experts. They've been trained, and so you read the Bible, and it seems pretty simple. You know, the average churchgoer reads the Bible. It's pretty simple. Love Jesus, love others, pursue righteousness. But that guy's getting up there, and he's making taking this one phrase and this one sentence and preaches a whole sermon or a whole sermon series on this and brings in all the stuff and these quotes of all these men and on and on and on. And it's like, whoa, this is profound. I'm glad he went to training so he could learn all this. I don't see it, but I'm glad he knows all that. And I think what's basically communicated is you are a Christianity is a passive thing for most of us. Again, you receive on Sunday morning. And you just trust that guy up there because he's the expert. And then you go live your life. It's pretty much detached from everything else. And you do your little devotional every day. And usually it's the writings of men more than the word of God. But you do your little devotional and you have your little, you know, yep, I feel good because I read this and Jesus speaks to me and isn't that precious. And then I go live my life. Let me come back to something I... Looked at yesterday. Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. Paul says this to Timothy. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, different from what? Different from everything he's been teaching here. Very practical. <clears throat> and most recently, it was slaves, be good slaves to your masters. All right, this is not profound systematic theology. This is, if you're a slave, be a good one. If you're a master, be a good one. Teach and preach these principles. Uh, Peter, I think you put a comment yesterday. Could someone take this word preach, and uh, which is the word exhort, and use it as a uh, justification for our sermons today? Uh, that would be a hard one. If you look up that word parakaleo throughout the New Testament, um, certainly lots of preaching includes exhortation, but a 45-minute three-point-and-a-poem sermon or 20-minute whatever, it, uh, nah, that's not... That would be a hard sell. Anyway, teach and preach these things, he says. Be a good slave. Be a good master. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, and by the way, I think I think the this whole section, all the practical stuff we talked about, men uh, praying with holy hands without wrath and dissension, women not being feminists, being in, in submission to their teachers, high character qualifications, all those things we talked about. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus... This word advocates a different doctrine. In the Greek, there is a verb form of heterodox. If anyone heterodoxes, if anyone teaches other than this, which is why the NAS here translates it, advocates a different doctrine, and does not agree, literally it does not come to sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. The Greek language here would say this slightly different, more literally. Uh, if anyone heterodoxes and does not come to the, the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, even the teaching according to godliness. Now let that settle in. What Paul is telling Timothy is, the heart of heterodoxy, 
is not Arminianism if you're a Calvinist or Calvinism if you're an Arminian. The heterodoxy he's concerned with, the, the, the sound words coming from the Lord Jesus Christ is the teaching that is according to godliness. There is so much more emphasis on righteousness and godliness in the scripture than comes across in almost any theological training I'm aware of. Anyone who heterodoxes, anyone who does not teach the words of the Lord Jesus, which is according to godliness, is conceited, understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and dispute, disputes about words. That just describes so much theology. Arrogance. I mean, we know that the Reformed folks, of whom I've been a part of most of my life, are some of the most arrogant people we know. I was, I was that guy 25 years ago. And we have this deep interest in controversial questions. Let's fight and disputes. And there's envy and strife when you listen to how groups, theological groups, talk about one another. Constant friction and Paul calls them, now I'm not claiming the Reformed, my Reformed friends are in this category, but here he's described these as men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. And what does he say to Timothy? Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, or literally steadfastness, and gentleness. I told you I went to two seminaries and these were not the main emphases. Men of God, they're trying to conform us into men of God to be pastors and they did not emphasize pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. It was systematic theology, systematic theology. I think I said yesterday, you know, they had a class on spiritual formation. What do we look for in our pastors? Oh, they need to be decent fellows and sure they can't have any great skeletons in the closet, but we want to know their theological credentials. Kyle Klink says new here. Uh, let me, let me just pull this up for everybody to see. Welcome, by the way, uh, picking up some of the same arguments I hear from some Hebrew roots family. Is this what this, uh, well, I'm not sure what you're asking. Uh, you hear from some Hebrew roots family. Well, I, I'm not sure what you're asking. What this channel is about is uh, knowing God's word and loving Jesus and serving Jesus. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you're, I don't know what you're asking. Uh, Lon says, yes, the lady couldn't even read the word of God until Wycliffe. Right. And obviously, 
now um, we have the Word of God, but have we replaced that Latin mass with systematic theology? Todd quotes uh, Micah 6 8. Yeah, he showed you, oh man, what is good. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Yes. Um, Kyle follows up Torah observance. No, I don't believe that we are to observe the Torah. That's I'm not a Jew and that's not my law. Um, but I would say the scripture says over and what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there is a there is a movement within the church that anytime you talk about good works and righteousness and the pursuit of holiness, they immediately want to say, oh, you're a works-based righteousness kind of thing. No, the, if you read the New Testament, it is all over the place. Ephesians, for instance, Ephesians 2, and this is where I see this conflict of uh, theology and, and in Ephesians 2, where the you're saved by grace through faith and all that, what's the climax of that that point? You were created for good works. And we so often skip that. We love, we love this section right here. We love this. For grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And most pastors, when they preach this, really emphasize God's grace and talk about election and and you can't you can't earn anything. And, and yep, that's all true. You're not saved a result of works. But look at verse ten. And this is we need to. If you don't spend as much time in verse ten as you do eight and nine, you're being driven more by your system than you are the Word of God. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why did God save you? Why did He give you the gift of grace and the gift of faith so you would do good works? And that good work is not simply believing. It is pursuing righteousness and holiness. And he goes on and spends the rest of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, raise your children. Do, do not be like the world. Do not pursue wickedness. Don't be drunk with wine, but fill with the Holy Spirit. On and on and on. Righteousness matters to the Lord Jesus. And we must never diminish them. She says, everyone in a leadership position is constrained by the church's statements of faith, so this is why the theology is questions. Yeah, and, and I, I think leaders need to be united in their view of things, but the steady diet of teaching ought to be Christ as Lord um, and all those things. Anyway, I know our time is up. I don't know, I just, this, this continuing to... Um, impact my thinking. And so I'm trying to impact yours. <laughs> so anyway, keep thinking, keep pursuing righteousness. We'll keep talking. Gentlemen, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. Fridays with the fellas. Look forward to uh, seeing you as we continue our study of manhood and Proverbs and such. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.